Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. It's good to see all your faces. It's great to continue to see new faces week after week. And so if it's your first Sunday with us, we want to welcome you to Bridge. Let's just uh, honor those that are here for the first time. Uh, this morning, we're going to get right back into Exodus chapter 22. How many can you say whoop whoop for Exodus? Come on now. You know, I got to tell you... Um, Sometimes, as a pastor, when you're doing your sermon, you know, when you're studying, it just like, boom, comes alive, and you know, you, you have something that, you're, you're like the ahas are just popping off the page, you know? And other times, it's just like a knockdown, drag out, like fight. You're just wrestling with the scripture. And guess which one this was this week for me? Yeah. It was big time, man. Wrestle fest. In fact, um, I, on Saturday, my son and I went for a bike ride, and we stopped by um, Starbucks just to get a cup of coffee before, and I went into Starbucks and I saw another pastor in there. Uh, he's a pastor friend, and he's in there on his laptop like this, and he has those, like, I've been up all night doing a term paper eyes, you know? And he has young kids. He has little kids. And so he's in there because, obviously, that's the quiet place he's found. And he's just in there like this. His, you know, his, his AirPods are in. He's just going. And I walk over to him. I put my hand on his shoulder. I say, dude, you got anything good? And he's like, nope. <laughs> And he's like, but God's good, and there's always something in there. And I said, amen to that. So it was funny because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm solid because I, you know, studied a lot throughout the week. And, and so I thought, I'm solid, poor guy. You know, he has not anything good. And then, and then I go to open up my notes just to kind of like, you know, brush over everything. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I got a lot of work to do tonight. So anyways, um, with that... I will say, uh, just to continue on in this theme, that uh, for, for many years, you know, uh, as your pastor, I would have, before Sunday night, or maybe on Friday night, I would have these anxiety dreams. You ever get those? Like, for whatever your, your area of work is, I remember when I was a driver, I would get the anxiety dreams, because I used to drive for the Marriott in my early, late teens, early 20s, and I would always be, like, thinking, oh, I gotta go pick up that person, then I gotta pick up that person, all of a sudden, your car, you know, you're in your dream, your van's, like, floating, or some, all that weird stuff that happens and you just can't get over there, you know, whatever else. And uh, I know some of you have uh, been servers, you know, and you're, you're still going, oh, I got to get iced tea for that person, you know, and it's like keeping you up all night. Well, like the pastor anxiety dream goes for me, something like this, like you're standing up there and in the dream, you're like Charlie Brown's teacher just going, you know, and like words aren't coming out, but people are there and you're, you know, you're like two hours into it and just a few people are left, you know, people are just like trickling out and you're just thinking, oh, I haven't even got to my intro yet. Like, in your dream, you're, you realize you haven't done the sermon. You don't even know what you've been saying that whole time. So I haven't had those dreams for years. But guess what I had? I had that dream. So you guys are totally in for a treat today, you know. Uh, so anyways, I, a big build up to get us to Exodus 22. And I'm committed to this book. I'm, I'm loving the series that the Lord's leading us through in the way forward that, that, um, in the study of this formation of, of, of a nation, you know, the, the people of God, the Hebrew people that for, for 400 years held in captivity with a slavery mentality, you know, and, and then God frees them graciously into the promise of a land that flows with milk and honey. Everybody can say amen to that, right? That this hope that they have. And, and he takes them from captivity into that promise over a long period of time. And through the, throughout that, that journey... They're learning how to obey God. They're being reshaped. They're being reformed. They're purging out a culture of slavery for a culture of freedom. They're purging out an unhealthy understanding of... <clears throat> excuse me, I get my water. I'm, I'm going to come right down here. 
Thank you, Jim. All right. <clears throat> Talk amongst yourselves. Um, they're, they're purging out this culture of, of captivity and for one of freedom. They're understanding um, what true leadership is versus oppressive leadership. I mean, can you imagine for generations, your model of leadership has been Pharaoh, right? And, and the outflow of his kind of leadership where if you don't do what you're supposed to do, you're getting whipped and beaten and so forth. And so you can imagine that it's highly likely that these folks have a very skewed view of justice. Would you agree with me on that? And so when God comes to them um, and delivers them and then begins to reshape them, he gives his laws in a very clear way. And, and we, we talked about that two weeks ago, Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, spoken by the voice of God in the hearing of all people, written by the finger of God on tablets of stone, and preserved in the Ark of the Covenant. Not just like, like I said before, it's not like, hey, where are those commands? You know, like everybody knew where they were, they were holy, You're, they're not going to be forgotten. And these commands become the basis for a good society. And you can imagine that if we all figured out how to live out those Ten Commandments, we would like really love our neighbors and we would like them too, right? That, that these are, are things that we all kind of know. And so um, this week as we continue on, last week we talked about um, what, the way that, that the formation of these laws, there were case laws after. So you get the Ten Commandments, the first four teaching us how, or building boundaries around how we love God. This is how we love God. These are the do's and the don'ts, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. The next six are building boundaries around how we love people. You know, these are the do's and the don'ts on how we deal with our neighbor. And then Jesus simplifies it for us. We're so grateful for Jesus. How many of you are like really grateful for Jesus? Jesus simplifies it and gives us the greatest commandment, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it, it sums up the whole law in those two commands. And so for, um, for like four or five chapters of Exodus, you're getting what's called case law. Case law is how you apply God's law. It gives you, gives you real-life circumstances. Um, and, and as we said last week, and I think it's important to repeat so that we keep on the theme of where we're going, is that these case laws aren't commands that we in our culture and time apply directly to our lives, but they're principles that we can discern from it. Does that make sense? So, for example, you know, we, we gave the example last week that not many of us have oxes that gore donkeys. Some of you might. Some of you might. But, you know, if you were going to the extreme, you'd be, man, if I want to be a good Christian, according, I want to be, like, according to the Bible, I need to go buy an ox and a donkey and make sure I keep them from goring each other, right? That's how that logic would, would work itself out. So we know that, that there's context, that we know that there's laws that applied to that time period. And so these laws were teaching the children of Israel how to do well their love for God and how to do well their love for one another. Um, so when we look at, at the, the first of the Ten Commandments, and then we're going to get into chapter 22 in just a moment, um, you know, re- just as a reminder, if we're to love God well, you know, this, these are the boundaries that teach us how to love God or teach this nation how to love God. It's that you don't put any other gods before him, that he is the supreme, that God is the one and only, that he is the alpha, he is the omega. He is seated on the throne of our hearts. He's seated high above all things, that there's this awe and respect for God, that he is above all things. And if that has to be our starting point. And if that's not the starting point, then what quickly happens is, is what happens in our world today and in any society. 
society is somebody else gets that seat or in our case so often as a nation with humanism we get that seat so it's like we like God we like the stuff he can do we like to talk to him about stuff but we don't place him on the highest seat he's we place ourselves just a little higher sometimes does that make sense and so that's um an example. Um, secondly, it says that we're not to worship idols. Thirdly, it says we're not to take his name in vain. And fourth, we're, not, we're to keep the Sabbath. In dealing with others, we're to honor our parents. And all the parents said, Amen. <laughs> uh, we're not supposed to kill people. We're not supposed to commit adultery. We're not supposed to steal. We're not supposed to lie. And we're not supposed to covet other people's stuff, right? These are just, in summary, the, the, the main part of God's law. And so last week, um, we talked about um, the, first in, the first thing that it talked about was slavery, which is an awkward subject, because if it was un- misunderstood, you would think the Bible permitted it, which it doesn't. And what we talked about is that the first part of the law was to regulate. It brought regulations, and the regulations protected the oppressed. They, they protected the vulnerable. And, um, and so we look today to this next part of what the law does, and um, that's under the subject of justice, right? So the first part is it brings regulation. The, the next part is that it, for us, it helps us to understand justice. Now, this is a very volatile world, uh, word in today's society right now, that there's all kinds of definitions for justice. Have you, have you been a part of this conversation? The redefining of it or whatever else, and I'm not going to get into the weeds of that so much as I am going to try to stick to what I believe the scripture is showing us about what justice is. Um, but before we can totally understand justice, uh, and, I, and I think that part of my wrestle with reading Exodus and getting into, like, like we said, into the weeds of the details of you know, the, the laws and the case law of, of what, we're, what we do when something goes wrong or whatever else, as you're reading these things, you're like, you're like man, this is me. People are messed up. Right? Like, that's the end result. It, was, it put me in this, like, dark mood of reading through the fact, like, people kill each other. They burn each other's stuff down. You know, there's all kinds of nasty sexual stuff that's in there. It's all these things that you're reading just going, ugh. And you, you get this, like, disgust reaction to it. And I, I was complaining to God, right, who's the best person to complain to. Because he, he understands, right? And so as I was complaining to God about it, I'm like, man, I want to go, I, I want to like jump into, I don't know, like a psalm or something and make everybody happy, like sing for joy, you know? But as I was complaining to God, I'm saying like, God, this, we're, we're so messed up. And, and, and the, the, the heart of man is so depraved. It's just nasty, right? And I felt this whisper of God, which he's so good to do it, to say, that's kind of the whole point of the law. You follow me? The whole point of the law is like reflective. It shows us how messed up we are. And so if you came to church today um, thinking you were going to get encouraged, I'm coming here to tell you you're messed up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, you know, honestly, I think we all know that about ourselves when we're honest. I think we love to say that about other people in society. But I think when we're honest, we know that. And, and, and so um, the depravity part is important in understanding the justice part. That, that What we can all agree on is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't matter the level of your sin or what you judge your sin versus somebody else's sin. What we, are in common, what we have common ground on is we've all done it. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Um, I love to quote John 3.16. And, um, and, and sometimes in, in, in familiar passages of Scripture, 
uh, it's, it's important to listen to them and then to not stop as if that verse just lives in a vacuum of the rest of the Bible, right? That that verse flows in a complete thought of what Jesus was saying. And so if I could, I'd just like to, to read it. I asked your permission, but I'm actually going to just do it. So um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we're just like, yes, amen. And then it goes on. It says, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Praise God. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. It's like, oh, it's going to go negative now. And this is the judgment, oh, excuse me, but um, who, who, this is the next part. It says, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19 says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I think that sums that feeling that you get when you're reading the Bible or when you're aware of the darkness that's in society or the disappointment of people acting the way that they shouldn't, that they're not acting justly, they're not doing justice, they're not doing the right things because they're living in darkness. And sometimes we have to admit that even in our own lives, that as much as we want to live out the beginning part, like, you know, Jesus has done it all, which he has, we have to take a hard look at the end part of that. And so that's where we come from today. And, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Um, I'm going to read just a couple of the verses here. I will tell you, just right out of the gate, I'm not going to... I just don't think I can pull it off. Go through law by law. <laughs> uh, there are people who can, and there are, um, but I just can't do that to you. Because that will just be a long several weeks of talking about all kinds of stuff. But what I'm hoping to do, excuse me, I have a catch in my throat. Um, again, you may talk amongst yourselves. Why? What I hope to do is give you um, the, the overarching theme and kind of like survey some of this stuff. And so I'm really only going to get to a few of the verses, um, but I'll call out some of the stuff that it addresses. And so this is a kind of an important and relevant one. If a man steals an ox or a sheep or kills it, or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. I think you guys all relate, right? <clears throat> if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun rises on him, there shall be blood, blood, blah, blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If he has stolen a beast and the beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Um, the, the first thing that I want to bring out is in this big word, um, you're probably familiar with it, use it in the sentence pretty regularly, but um, retributive or retri retribution, retri retributive justice, right? 
This is what this is talking about, that when something goes wrong, when you don't do the right thing, there's retribution, right? There's punishment for what you've done, right? And I think we understand that in the idea of discipline for those of us that are raising children and parenting kids. It's, you know, there's an infraction of what you do. There's a clear uh, discipline for that or a punishment, and then there's a restoration that comes. And that's the whole picture of what God's justice is. Now, for, for this, we realize that in the subject of justice, that, that there's balance and measure to it, right? There's balance and measure. And, and when you read that first part, um, you know, it tells you that when you've done something wrong, you have, there's going to be a consequence, right? There's a consequence to your action. And that action is going to, for our culture, it might be jail time or whatever else, but there's a consequence, and then further down the line, there might be also a restitution that you're going to suffer a punishment for what you've done, but you're also going to have to give back. You're going to have to pay back the one that you've done harm to. And these are biblical concepts. But we don't just get to run wild with them. And this is where there becomes measure. So do you remember that part where I read where it says, hey, if someone breaks into your house, I'm going to paraphrase, if they break into your house at night and you strike them and they die, you're not guilty of bloodshed. You're not guilty of murder. Now, you, you listen to that and go, huh. But if, you, if they come and they break into your house during the daylight and you kill them, then there's blood guilt on your hands. This is an example of, of the measure of, judge, of, of justice, right? Here's the picture for the children of Israel. And maybe even for us. Like if you are in your house at night and you're asleep and somebody breaks into the house and their intent is to steal, you have no idea what their intent is. Is that correct? And it's not advocating for violence, but it's saying that if in the pursuit of protecting your house and your property, you know, like you're, you're, you get shaken out of sleep, you don't know what the intent of the person is there, you strike them, and if you're, you know, you strike them with such force that they actually die. You're not guilty of murder. But if they come during the daylight and they come into your house and they're starting to take your stuff, you don't get to just kill them for coming on your property. That's the, the measurement of justice because there's a, a weight of what you do. They've come to steal something. They haven't come to harm you. Does this kind of make some sense? So as we're reading through the Bible, there's application to this stuff. It, it doesn't give you the right to just do whatever you want because you are the one seated on the, the throne and you're the one that determines justice. For this people, for this nation, they're saying, hey, there are rules and this is how we're going to live by them. So the application of the law and consequences is just and it's measured. It's, it's that the, the punishment fits the crime. And that seems to be what God's bringing to the people. And there is retribution, but that's not the complete part of God's justice. I was thinking of an example of this. My, uh, my son and I were um, just right over here on Santa Clara, and I was dropping him off. This was a couple years ago. I was picking him up from his friend's house. And you ever have this, this situation, like you're driving and you're looking in your rearview mirror and you're like, I'm going to get hit right now. Because you can tell that the person isn't paying attention. And I remember even saying, hey, do you brace yourself? We're about to get rear-ended. And boom, this guy hits us. And I, I was in my truck, and it was just like a little bit of a jolt. It was more annoying than anything else, right? And then the next thing that happens is this guy then pulls out from us and just guns it through the intersection. So it's like a hit and run. And I'm like, that's not good. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm not going to let him get away with that. And so, I, I, I said, you okay? I'm okay. I looked both ways. And I didn't chase him because I would have been foolish, honestly. But I, I, I followed him because I wanted to get his license plate. And I asked my son, call 911. 
you know, call 911 and put them on speaker. And so I said, hey, we're just involved in a hit and run. Here's the description of the vehicle. Here's their license plate. And so as we're doing that and we, you know, we come around the corner, this person is going so fast that they hit another car, go through an intersection, hit that car and flip their car. So it goes from like a little thing to a big thing really fast. And so we pull over, and fortunately there were some good people around that, you know, because the first responders didn't have time to get there, we get out, and this is what the guy says, is he's like in his car like this with, like, he's pretty injured, and he says, hey man, help me, I got to get out of here. I'm like, whoa, buddy, you're, you're not going to go anywhere. And, and he says, um, I just got out of rehab, and I can't go back in, I can't, I'm going to get in so much trouble. And he's, he's just pretty much just like stoned out of his mind, Right? And so then he gets, we get him out of the car and sit him down, and everybody's being nice to him. There wasn't any kind of like, um, you know, you broke into my house in the daytime, I'm going to kill you, you know, like that, that, that kind of thing. It was the understanding of this, what you've done is wrong, but there's a measure to justice. In other words, I didn't just go, oh, man, you must be going through a really hard time. I'll, yeah, let me help you get away. You know what I mean? I get it, dude. I get it. We've all been there, you know. Yeah, man, you don't want to get in the system again. Yeah, let's get you out of here. <laughs> which is another idea of a, a perverted form of justice. And so we have the, the, the gentleman sit down, and then the police show up and do a really good job at their job, and then I don't hear anything else of it. I go and I turn it into my insurance, and, and I get my bumper fixed, and, you know, and move on with life. Well, then just a couple days ago, this is a couple years ago, right, because you were in junior high, so it was a couple years ago, I get this notice from the court, and I open it up, and I read it, and it says, hey, so-and-so has served his time in jail, and part of the judge's order is that he brings restitution to you for any damages done to your vehicle, any damages done to your body, or any damages, you know, any monetary damages that you could report. Like, you're basically, he's going to have to pay you for it. So I'm like, sweet, I made up a neck injury. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm like, emotional damage. No. Why, why didn't I do that? Because that's not just. Do you see what I'm saying? I had an insurance company. The insurance company, I wasn't out anything. I can't make up things to have him bring restitution. So, so these are things, and why I'm sharing all this from the pulpit on Sunday morning is because these are foundational truths for our lives that many of us understand, that many of us were raised, that our grandparents would have taught these things about ethics and morality and a measure of justice that quickly is eroding from our society. And it was built into the foundation of the nation of Israel that they would understand this is how you do right. This is how you do truthful things. This is how you do justice. And so, um, so yeah, so the, the, the verses will continue on, and um, they will address all kinds of things. So the balance of the chapters of 22 and 23 will address theft, arson, deception of breach of trust, seduction, sexual immorality, sorcery, bestiality, idol worship, harsh treatment of the immigrant or traveler, generosity in business dealing with the poor, prohibition of cursing leaders, bringing the first to God without delay, um, to not lie or to not lie about people in court, um, to not partner with wicked people or bear false witness. Um, to not go with the crowd and do evil things with evil people. This is what you're going to read as you read it. And I would encourage you to read it. I would encourage you to see it. But I'm giving you the big picture to say this is the reality of a depraved heart. And the Bible speaks to it. 
And so the Bible doesn't just speak to it for that one time, but then it, it really does speak to justice. And so turn in your Bibles to Isaiah um, chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. The Bible doesn't give suggestions about justice or, or what God requires. And this is what I'm learning about Exodus and our way forward. If we'll allow our lives to be led according to the way that God called us to live, we'll reap the blessings of that. And part of it starts with honoring God above all things. If we'll do that, and everything will kind of flow from there. Um, but the Bible is very clear about what God requires. Aren't you grateful for that? It, it doesn't leave us guessing. We don't always like what the Bible requires or what God requires. We don't always agree with it. But we at least know very clearly. And, that's, um, and so for, for us, for understanding what biblical justice is, it's, it's measuring up to what God's called us to do. To, to anything that, that doesn't obey what God's called us to do in his clarity is, is an injustice. Now, when it gets to the concept of justice, though, for us, is it isn't like a, a, a philosophy or a thing. It's an action, right? It's an action. And the Bible doesn't say, hey, you, could, you guys should probably just clean up your justice or you should think about doing better. It actually commands us to do justice. It says in Isaiah 1-7, learn to do good. Man, how many of us would, if we just took that and just meditated on that for the rest of the year, like learn to do good. What God might show us in that. But it says, learn to do good and seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. For those that see Christianity as an irrelevant religion or that it's just kind of a waste of time or whatever else, miss out on the mission of God, right? The mission of God is a restore, bringing newness to all things. He's brought restoration to your life so that you can bring restoration to situations that are unjust. This is a very famous one. When I have the opportunity to do the invocation for um, new police officers as they're sworn in, I, I almost always quote this. It says, He's told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To what? To do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And then the last and the, the final verse on this is from Proverbs 31. Whenever you hear Proverbs 31, be honest, if you've been in church for a long time, what do you think? Yeah, right? Proverbs 31, like the, the amazing woman who can do everything, right? She's a businesswoman. She's super good to her husband. Everybody loves her, right? The Proverbs 31 woman. But in that Proverbs 31 are wise words to a son. And these wise words give another absolute mandate. And it says this. Open your mouth for the mute, or, be, or better in some versions it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth and judge right, righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And so this is something that, that, that as Christians, this is what we do. This is what we do. Jesus gives the example, right? And, and he, he cares. He cares for people. But in, its, in terms of justice, when it comes to Exodus, it talks a lot about caring for the fatherless or the orphan, caring for the widow, caring for the oppressed, caring for the sojourner, or caring for the alien. And I think why I wrestled so much um, this week with this topic and trying to figure out how you, how you unpack it is because it's so volatile. 
it's the, the, the topic of justice has brought such division to our churches, to our nation, to our communities. It's, it's been a, a, a topic that's just pointed the finger at other people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Has anybody else experienced this or am I just making this stuff up? And so it's kind of like, have you heard that saying of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Like, well, I want to talk about justice then because you're going to think I'm like a social justice warrior. Or I don't want to mention even that word because you're going to think this. Um, these are, are things that keep us from talking about what the Bible teaches are very important at face value. Look at what Exodus 22, 21 through 24 says. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember who you are. Remember where you've come from. Remember what God's done in you. Remember how, he's, how he's, he's transformed you so that you can be one who transforms. And it says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. You know, God has a special place in his heart for the people who are oppressed. God is, uh, as A.W. Tozer says, God is attracted to weakness. He's drawn to weakness. And in places of desperation, I mean, how many of you have cried out to God in your desperation and you have found, I, mean, I forgot who I was talking to today. They were just going through it. And I asked, um, what's your relationship with God like? And they said, I, I haven't felt closer to him than, than in this moment. Because out of weakness, out of desperation, of crying out to God, not out of, of this false strength that I've got this God and I'll, I'll give you a call when I need you. But no, God, if you don't come through for me, if you don't rescue me, if you don't move, I've got nothing. And, and even in the midst of it, finding God to be good. And so God surely hears the cry of these oppressed. And then in verse 24, it gets, it gets Old Testament crazy. You ready for this? I will surely hear their cry. And, and so if you mistreat them, I'm going to hear their cry. And then my wrath will burn. And I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and fatherless your children. That stuff is just hard to preach. Because we don't like those thoughts of a God who would say something like that. How many of you get the warm fuzzies when I read that part of Exodus? And so we can focus on the fact that, like, did it just say that God was going to kill me if I do something like that? Remember you're reading through the lenses of the Old Testament and you're reading about the character and the nature of God. And what you're reading about is a God who is just and the actions towards the oppressed are unjust. And God's not going to sit back and do nothing about it. God will defend the right of the unjust, or excuse me, of the oppressed. Jesus, let's get to Jesus quickly. Let's get into the New Testament where there's grace, where we understand things in a far different way. Jesus gives the example for us. And what did he do? Jesus did justice, right? He did justice. The, the concept of, of justice, again, being not just punishment for something you did wrong. That is a part of it in the Bible. But the, the real overarching part of justice in the Bible is about restoration. It's about returning what was stolen away. Whether that was the image of God, you know, this, you gotta, we, we know this stuff, Genesis 1.27, that all people are created in the image of God. That means that there's no person who has lesser value than the other, but all people have this great value before God. And so one of the great injustices is to steal that away from somebody. That's where we talked about the injustice of slavery or things like racism, or other things that you can just continue through the list. Anything that robs away the image of God from somebody is unjust. 
What justice is, is about restoring that image to people, helping them to be restored to see who they are in Christ. Jesus did this, right? He fed the hungry, so he met physical needs. He healed the sick. He clothed the naked. He prayed for his enemy and called us to do the same. Don't we just like to omit that stuff? What does Jesus do on the cross for the ones that's crucifying him? Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He speaks up for the voiceless. You know, I always think of the picture of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, and the measure of her punishment is really unjust. So because of the fact that she's caught, that, that she instant justice would be to pick up stones and kill her. Then you remember Jesus, um, they, they kind of try to get him in a conundrum, and Jesus goes and he does that, that awesome thing where he you know, squats down and writes something in the sand, and we don't know what he writes in the sand, but all people have different assumptions, thinking maybe he was writing specific sins, or maybe he was writing the names of everybody that that person who was accusing her of had already committed adultery with. Who knows, right? This is all speculation. But whatever it was that he wrote in the sand, it freaked them out so much that they just shut up. And then Jesus says these beautiful words. He says, woman, where are your accusers? And then he goes on to tell her, let me, let me restore to you the dignity that would come when you live according to my plan. And it would be this, go now and sin no more. And he leaves her better off than when she came. That's advocating. That's speaking up for someone who didn't have a voice, who would have otherwise been dead in that moment. And so Jesus does this stuff, and we're called to do the same. Um, I, I was thinking about not only what Jesus does, but how um, Matthew chapter 25. Um, I was at Robert's memorial yesterday, and Doug and Martha's son, son who passed away. And that was Martha and Doug. That was... I think we were all talking about today, one of the most incredible celebration of life services I've ever witnessed, and I've been to a few. It was amazing. And, and what was amazing was Robert's choice to live a life to do justly. And, and in listening to testimony after testimony, I think we all, um, Chad, I know we were talking about, we all walked away going, I'm no Robert, you know? The, the, the ability that he had to, to do so many things that were good for people because of his love for Jesus and because he understood this concept. And, and so, you know, in, in, in really thinking about some of these things myself as, as I was studying, and, and um, you had mentioned in your talk, um, Martha, which I thought was incredible that you and Doug just addressed everybody, and it was amazing how you spoke and what you said about your son. You mentioned his love for Keith Green. And, and I share that love for Keith Green, and I encourage everybody to fall in love with Keith Green. Why? Because this music, you're going to listen to it. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was sharing with one of the teens. I was like, dude, you got to hear this song. It's amazing. And he's like, who are you? Because I guess it showed my age at that moment. I guess it wasn't cool to listen to someone who's banging on a piano, shouting out prophetic things. <laughs> But, but Keith Green does this song about uh, Matthew chapter 25. It's the separation of the sheep and the goats. And, and is anyone, um, Jesus people in the house, know that song? So as, as he's banging out this, these piano notes with such passion, he's speaking out about this portion of scripture that's really uncomfortable. Matthew chapter 25, when the Son of Man comes and all his angels with him, there he will separate as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he talks about the, the separation point is what you did and didn't do, right? 
the separation point was like, did you feed the hungry? Did you, uh, did you clothe the naked? Did you visit the imprisoned? And to one group, he says um, that you didn't do these things. And, 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 they, and then the other group, he, they say, you can read this on your own, but it says, when, Lord, when did I do that? And he's speaking of himself, right? Jesus says, you didn't clothe me, you didn't feed me, you didn't do these things. And he, he says, I've totally butchered Matthew 25. Now you have to really read it. Um, he, he says, when you've done it to the what? To the least of these, you've done it unto me. And we're the part of the scripture, and since that's already so uncomfortable with all these passages, the, the part that gets really uncomfortable is it's the judgment seat that Jesus is talking about. And those that are separated, he, he, he releases those who have lived out justly, the fruit of their salvation, doing what God's called them to do, are released into their, their, their inheritance. Well done, good and faithful servant. And those who chose not to do justly, to turn, and, turn their, their face away from injustice, theirs is a different one. Theirs is a, a release into hell that was designed for the devil and his angels. It's super uncomfortable as the Bible is and should be for us because it challenges us. And so, as I was reading these things, and again, the whole case is being built throughout from the Old Testament into the New, that God calls us to do justly. Jesus modeled justice, and um, here we are, right? Now, now, we can't just do justly on our own. We do justly through the power of the Spirit, which is another message that I got from um, Robert's memorial. I thought of another example, and, and I want to um, give this real-life example of, of justice. Um, justice Prizio probably thinks I continue to say, he's talking about me. like your haircut, Justice. Um, there's a ministry that we've had the privilege of supporting, and um, with the Eatons, we had a chance for Shell and I, and the Eatons, we got to go and see this ministry in Guatemala from Kids Alive, and I've talked about it before, but it's a, a mission that I think captures justice in a very holistic way. And so I want to tell you what they do, and I want to just say that this is an example of one of the ways that we as a congregation want to be a support of those who are doing justice or partnering with those who are. So in the nation of Guatemala, um, there's... A, a real epidemic of abuse towards children. And it's not uncommon in, in, in our country, um, in other countries in South and Central America. But in Guatemala, this leg of the ministry has really focused on caring for children who are um, those that, that don't have someone to stand up for them. And so what they do is they rescue mostly girls who are experiencing sexual abuse in the home, right? And so they, they, they rescue them from the home. They bring them out of that unsafe environment they begin to, to build them back up through trauma, trauma care. They help them to understand the trauma of what they've gone through. They bring them the gospel. They help them to, to, to heal out of that. But they don't just stop there, right? Like I would think that that would be a place that would be like, man, that is a noble work. But they go to the next level. This ministry then goes to the person who offended the child. They, they have them arrested according to the laws of the land. And they have them tried in court. And usually what would happen at that point is that case would just go away because of the difficulties of a developing nation court system. But they have learned how to be experts of the court system. And so they make sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed. And they get a conviction against the one who's brought the offense. 
they go so far as to help the young girl realize the value that she has in Christ, that she is, she is worthy, that, that she is, is a whole person in Christ, that, that she is made in the image of God. And as a result, that, that that is a part of justice, to see the one who's done harm, there should be retribution. But they don't make it a bitter thing. They actually empower her and say, we're going to help you even with being bold to face the one who's harmed you, to stand as a witness against the one who's harmed you. And to have freedom as a result of that. And then they lead them through the powerful concept of forgiveness. So now that you've seen the retribution, now we're going to teach you this is how you forgive. And then we're just going to love on you. And we're going to seek out restoration. We're going to restore you to a family. If it's your own family, without that oppressive person there, we're going to work with the system to get you back into a loving home. Or we're going to seek out uh, adoption or another home for you. Or if you're one that this society doesn't want because maybe there's mental illness or whatever else, we're going to care for you for the rest of your life. That's amazing. And we got to see it, didn't we? We got to see it firsthand. You gave generously, like really generously, to help restore their kitchen and to, to help provide these services of doing justice. And, um, and I feel very passionate about these things, but I, I also feel a, a, a sense of caution that, that we don't lull ourselves to sleep going, well, man, at least I, and, and please hear my heart. This is going to sound terrible. I'm just going to set you up for it. But that we don't lull ourselves to sleep going, man, good thing I wrote a check for that kitchen and did some justice. That is part of it. That is part of it. And, and that's wonderful, the generosity towards those that are doing justice. But I think what the Bible is really turning the screws a little bit on us is to go, God, in my sphere of influence, where, you, where there are things that are going around where I have a voice, teach me, show me how I do justly, how I love mercy, how I walk humbly with God. Does this make any sense? Okay, this is it, and I, I thought I was going to be short, but I'm going to be five more minutes, maybe seven, yay, maybe nine. Um, <laughs> there is a great confusion over justice in the moment that we live in right now. And this is where we begin to experience like the uncomfortable, um, are you a social gospel church, are you a social justice warrior, what does that word even mean? And I want to direct you to a good resource that I found that I, I, I've really benefited from um, his teaching. It's a man named um, Vodi or Vadi Baucom, right? And if you know who he is... Um, you would know right away that he's very gifted in teaching on this subject and, and breaks it down in such a way that the average person like myself can understand. But um, talk to me afterwards. I would encourage you to listen to some of the things that he has to say. An expert definitely in this area. Um, so I'm not going to try to be him or teach what he can teach so well. But I am going to say that in, in living out justice, there's this dangerous word that we don't know, that we don't understand what the word means and where it comes from. We could be um, thinking it means one thing and it means something else. The example that I was thinking of is um, there's a word called surfing, right? And, and that can mean um, for some person, he's like, man, I was up all night surfing. And, and for me, I'm thinking, man, was it a full moon? Like, how was the water? And whatever else. For that person, without any context, they could be thinking, no, I was up all night, you know, researching something on the internet. This word social justice is like that. We could think it means one thing, but it means something else. And so in its actual meaning, um, it, it's tied to like a Marxist ideology. It's, it's tied to something that is contrary to the Bible. 
And, and in its big picture, what it's saying is that there should be total equality, right? And what that means is that um, from an institutional level, be it the government, the church, or whatever else, that if you have more, then you should give your more to the one who has less so that everybody has equal finances, equal opportunity, and it's that, that the world looks like this, right? And we can debate this stuff later. Um, that's not my intent or my heart to debate. It's only my intent to bring it out because it's something that we're all wrestling with in this moment. Vody Bakum brings up a really good point, And he says that under that definition, we, we would be really frustrated with God who is inequitable. Right? Because, again, social justice is all about equity. Right? God, he says, does things that we would get really frustrated with. For example, he says of himself, God blessed him with more melatonin than, than he says, than all of you. <laughs> he says also um, that God blessed him with more height. You know, God, and I would say this of Robert, that God literally blessed him with more energy and intellect. So it's biblical to say that God gives gifts according to how he desires. How many of you could say that everybody you know is equally smart, tall, um, same color, same size, all of that? No, that would be silly to say. But it's God who gives these things. Does that make sense? And so the, the, the thing that we can get really stuck doing is trying to, to, to make everybody like this and miss out on what we're supposed to do. The justice of the Bible is a very individual thing because guess who you're going to stand before at the end of all things? I know this is uncomfortable stuff to talk about, but it's not you and a group of people. It's you before God giving an account for what you did with what he gave you. Two totally different concepts. I've resolved in the mystery of God that it's up to him to give what he wants to give. I wish he would have given me more of a lot of things. I'm sure I could just go through the list. And you would probably relate and agree with me. But at the end of the day, he's God. And he gives gifts as he sees fit. And we in relationship with God become stewards of those gifts where we work on them. And, and we don't work on them in such a way to have a better social media page. Like everyone's like, whoa, you're awesome. But what we do is we, we work on these things so that we can affect better change, so that we can do justly with what he's given us. So that at the end of all things, we can say, guys, I did the best that I could with what you gave me. And he comes in in those moments and he empowers us with his Holy Spirit to do so much more than we could ever think possible. But we're not intended to compare ourselves to somebody else's gift, nor bear the responsibility of making sure that they have more because we have more. You guys good? Yeah. Watch, the, watch the guy on YouTube. You'll dig it. Okay. So I, I want to bring it into all this. And, um, and I, 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 I honestly wasn't really sure how to do it. Um, but I think that as I was praying and as I was really, really just going, God, help me not to, to bring like some sort of college lecture to the room, but really to bring your word. And that's where um, I came to this conclusion. And I, I've heard Alistair Begg say it many times, if you listen to him on the radio, that the, the main things are the plain things. That you, we don't have to scour the Bible for hidden mystery or some Gnostic view, like, man, I know stuff that other people don't know. We just have to look at the plain things that God is saying. And the plain things that I see that God is saying, I, I looked at, at, at the simple idea that 
avoid the complications, avoid the distractions, avoid the complicated conversations and the complaining, right? We avoid all of that. And we look through the heart of God, through the eyes of Jesus. What's going on around me that I have the opportunity to make a difference in? What's going on around me that I have the opportunity to do justly, to love mercy? What's going on around me where I can speak up for those who don't have a voice just like Jesus did? What's going on around me that I have the opportunity to do these things? In fact, Proverbs 3, 17, I think it's 17, it says basically, don't withhold the good that you have to give to somebody when it's in your power to act. Like, don't, don't withhold that good. And so maybe throughout this week, instead of worrying about what, if you've got it right or you've got it wrong, or if this person should be helped, or if this person should be encouraged, or if this person should be spoken, toward, uh, spoken to or spoken up for, that, that in submission to God and placing Him on the highest throne and realizing He's the author of justice, He's the one that wants to restore all things, and He wants to use you, and this is part of His mission, that in light of those things, you would just maybe pray, God, would you give me your heart for the world around me? God, would you give me your eyes to see the things that are happening around me? And Lord, would you give me a, 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 a fresh dose of courage to be surrendered to your will to, to, do, to do justice? Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, so many things were said today and so many thoughts that can stir around in our mind. Lord, I pray peace over your people. Lord, where, where certain um, words or ideas can take the mind in so many different directions, we want to submit our minds to you and to your word. Thank you, God, that you are just. Thank you that you give to this nation at this point in history the foundations for a just society and this prophetic call to actually do it. Lord, may we hear that call in our world right now. Help us not to blur these lines or to make up our own version of justice. But Lord, help us to settle in and submit to yours. And as we do that, God, help us to see things in a different way, to see our neighbor in a different way, to see the oppressed in a different way, to see the downtrodden in a different way. And with the gifts that you've given us, help us to reflect you well, to act just like you acted, Jesus. And then, Lord, we're okay with the, um, the heaviness of the subject and realizing that these things that, that we do have eternal implications it's okay that we settle into that a little bit. I pray that would be a, a motivator for us, that you never motivate through guilt or shame or fear, but you speak truth to our hearts. And so we receive that truth now. And Jesus, we thank you that you've done what we couldn't do for ourselves, that you are the ultimate picture of justice. Thank you um, for salvation. Thank you for the hope that comes with it. Thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now with all these words and with all these things, I pray that you'd bless your people. Let whatever seeds that were seeds of your Holy Spirit to, to be sowed and to find their place in that soil and to be watered and to grow. And whatever was just my ideas or, or frivolous, just let it fall away now. And so I bless each one. I thank you for them in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you.
Death is deep. 